So you've come here for the truth. Well, we've got the truth and nothing but the truth. Here are your hosts, Robert A. Bianchi and David J. Bruno. Welcome to WMTR Radio. It's about the truth with your host, Bob Bianchi and Dave Bruno. Every Saturday at 1030, podcast dropping on Wednesdays. Dave, uh, it's a show, two lawyers talking about mindset. And uh, mm-hmm. just got back from our TEDx Talks and uh, had a great time. And we got really, uh, I think both of us really essentially were talking about resiliency and mindset. And I can't think of a better guest than we have today, Dave. Uh, Kristen Williams, who is with us, uh, was a special friend. And it's a special treat um, to have her here. Uh, Kristen, welcome to the show, first off. Thank you. All right. I want to read what you put down as the important points of, of your bio, is that you're a devoted mother and a loving wife whose family is the cornerstone of my life and motivation for what I do. You have a criminal justice degree with a specialization in psychology from Johnson & Wales. Go Rhode Island. Providence College guy over here. And you currently are a title agent in the real estate field. And and I say that because when I knew you, you were a young, tiny little... I don't know, 12, 13, maybe, when you were a witness for me in a death penalty murder case that I was trying in Hudson County as an assistant prosecutor. And I can see in my mind's eye this young, courageous girl coming into what we refer to as the Ram Room. It was State versus Henry Ram. And me interviewing you for the first time and all of us saying, wow, what a dynamic, articulate, uh, beautiful person who had seen and witnessed such a horrific thing. But you were so brave and so courageous. Maybe you could tell our audience a little bit about your first encounter with me and us and the experience that you had. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I met you. I was probably 13, 14 years old. It was before I actually testified. I remember you guys came up to my parents' house, my dad's house at the time, and, you know, I was terrified to even think about stepping into a courtroom. I had no idea what was going to happen or anything. It was five years since the incident, so it wasn't like, you know, anything had been going on really for me in it, in the trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, just meeting you guys was, it was intimidating. You know, it was not knowing, you know, what role you were playing, if you were there to be on my side or not. And I just remember, you know, meeting you and Charlie and you guys just immediately made it comfortable, like made me know that you were on my side, you were there to help me through it and that, you know, it wasn't going to be as scary as I had built it up in my mind over the years. Right, and I think that that resiliency really came through and you testified as a witness and there were some really rough patches. In fact, I was just saying to you before we went on air, uh, there was something that was done to you on cross-examination by the defense in the case that um, it was probably the worst thing I've ever seen done, uh, certainly given your age and the fact that you witnessed what you witnessed with your mother. Um, and you actually enlightened me on something that that I didn't remember, because I remember we went to Sidebar, mm-hmm. uh, myself and my trial partner, Charlie D'Amico, and we went off. I mean, we were crazy. And, and essentially, if you don't mind me, do you mind me yeah. telling the, the no, story? Yeah. So essentially, uh, the, the defendant was convicted, uh, at that time he was not, uh, of pouring gasoline on your mom, who's pregnant at the time. 
and um, lighting her on fire. And it was a very, very, uh, very difficult for a seasoned prosecutor and a former EMT. Uh, I can still see those, you know, photos, and and they were very brutal. Uh, and the mechanism of the fire was during an argument in the kitchen. After he had poured the gasoline on your mom, he took a, a grill lighter out, yeah. and that's what started the fire. During the course of the trial, Dave. Uh, just really, again, I, I've never seen anything like it 30 plus years in a career. The defense attorney took out, not the lighter involved in the case, but out of a bag, a grill lighter that he must have purchased in a store. And I can remember the question went up to Kristen and like right in front of her face and said, put it down right in front of her. Is that the kind of grill lighter that was used in, in the incident? And when I tell you, I can see this young lady's um, eyes as if literally the whites of her eyes, like she was looking, staring, I get goosebumps when I'm thinking about it right now, staring at that thing, and us at sidebar, and you were alone right next to the jury. The judge is paying attention to the lawyers, and you told me something I didn't even know about coming over and leaving sidebar, and t tell me about yeah. that, because I don't, I don't remember, but it's something I could see myself doing. Yeah, he, uh, the defense attorney, he put the grill lighter on the witness stand, and immediately you and Charlie jumped up, and I was trying to, like, push the chair back away from it, and, I mean, I was just terrified of even being near it and you guys went to sidebar and you came out of sidebar because it was still there and I was slowly like trying to inch back and I don't know if you had noticed it at the time but you came over to bring me water and I like whispered to you I was like please move that and you were like shh leave it there and you backed away after you poured me water and I was like Okay, and I just sat there. I was, I like just kept trying to move my chair back. And I remember you telling me afterwards, like the, that you had noticed the jury was watching me the whole of course. time of course. as I was sitting there trying to back away from this just object sitting in front of me. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and you, you, you knew, Dave, and certainly yes, question. I mean, the thing that I love about the story, if there's anything to love about it, is you do wonder. And then I was a grown man and you were a teenage girl. Wow, how does somebody come out on the other end of this? How, how does somebody show resiliency? Because lots of people could go down a dark rabbit hole in a bad place, and understandably, but you didn't. Talk to me about that. I don't know. I just, you know, after I testified and after he was convicted, it just you know, really made me look at my childhood. It was in a very abusive home while before everything had even happened. So, and the more I thought about it as I was, you know, when I testified, I was 15. So I was getting more into where I understood more what had happened. And as I thought about it more, I thought about the facts that like, I didn't notice that it wasn't normal to have that abuse on a daily basis. Mm. So the more I started thinking about things, I started thinking about, well, I have the choice to make this not happen. I mean, I remember as a kid, my mom leaving a million times and always going back and thinking, well, if she just left and just didn't go back, like you had the power to make that decision. You left at some point, but you made the decision to go back. So. I just really looked at everything I did in my life after that of I don't want to be in that place. So when I you know, got out of school, I got a job because I wanted to be financially stable on my own. I didn't want to depend on anyone else. Like your mom had to do. 
and that's what my mom did so i tried to you know she was a very good woman she really cared about us but she made poor decisions for her own life and unfortunately they affected us too and i knew i wanted a family at some point and i never wanted my child to go through that now Mm. being a mom i'm glad i made those decisions and i'm glad that it hit me differently where I said, this isn't what I want for my life, as opposed to this is how I'm determined my life's going to be instead. You know, so I just try to really go through everything thinking, what is how is this going to affect things going forward? If I bail on this job, like, OK, do I have another one lined up or am I going to potentially not have electricity like we didn't have when I was a kid? Or am I going to be able to afford food like we couldn't afford then? Am I going to have to depend on somebody else? And if I'm in a bad situation, feel like I'm not going to be able to get out. I just do everything I can to make sure that I don't fall into that pattern. Hmm. And you said that it was maybe a little later that you came to that realization how about in the time period between the incident itself and that point where it clicked for you? I mean, how did you get through that very, very difficult period of time? Um, in all honesty, I have a great father who was extremely supportive and backed me a million percent. He made sure I had therapy and was able to talk about what was going on. So that really helped. And 100% the team of prosecutors I had, Bob, Charlie, Nancy, In, in that Karen. order, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, they... If I didn't, I if I didn't have that group of prosecutors, I don't know if I would have gotten through it the way I did. I mean, they were just so supportive and making sure I was prepared and kept me informed and mm-hmm. made sure that, you know, there was little surprises as possible. And I feel like they made the ex- the after experiences so much less traumatic that. It wasn't just like a constant, this is a horrible event in my life that just keeps continuing. It was a horrible event with the support I needed to get through to the resolution, not just one horrible event after another. So if it wasn't for, you know, them guiding me through it and making sure I understood the legal process and understood what I was going to be testifying about or what could be asked of me on the stand, I don't know that I would have gotten to the point that I did because I know a lot of people probably could have just said oh it's a kid and you know not trusted what I was going to say or not given me the insights that they did that would have made me comfortable and I might have said I don't want to do this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. preparation sounds like preparation it was the preparation oftentimes in various different situations because I think we could all get into each other's heads, right? Mm-hmm. Into in your mind and start dwelling on an experience that maybe you're looking down the pipe for. And uh, a traumatizing experience to begin with mm-hmm. about the substance matter. And then you got to go into court mm-hmm. and yeah. talk about it. In front of into, strangers right? again, right? And in yeah. front of your family. You know, I mean, a lot of times you don't even think about the fact you, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to talk in front of a judge or a jury, but your family's there. And like my case, a lot of my family, I hadn't talked to about what happened. So it was the first time they were hearing what I had seen and what I had witnessed and gone through. So you're not, you know, that's a whole nother fear in itself, yeah. you know, because you don't mm. want to hurt anyone mm. else either. And you're bringing about all this new pain that they might not have known about, you know. So, mm. you know, Charlie and Bob, they were 
so instrumental in making sure that I was comfortable with that like family that I didn't want to hear certain things. They made sure that they communicated that I didn't want them there. I didn't want them to know what was going on. And, you know, it, it was a huge relief because the trauma was so significant that if it would have continued, it could have very easily have broken me. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I can see in my mind's eyes, I think I have it right, we haven't talked about this, but your grandparents are Libertans, mm-hmm. do I have that right? Yeah, um, I can see your grandfather and your grandmother there dutifully every single day, and, and being such gracious, decent people, I, I believe your grandfather was a fireman, actually, it if was. I recall. He was, a fire captain. Which, yeah, made this um, obviously extremely difficult. difficult for him. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, but um, I just wanted to give a shout out to them because uh, they were really just such decent people and so loving of you. All right, you're listening to WMTR Radio. It's about the truth. Bob Bianchi and Dave Bruno will be right back. Hello, parents and future leaders of the courtroom. We got a really, really exciting program that we're going to be reinitiating again. We've done it for a long time. It's our Careers in Law Workshop starting on March 20th of 2024. It's your gateway to mastering the legal roundtable. So excited about this, getting back into the classroom for the students interested in careers in law. High school students, college students, law school students, we're rolling out various different modules. We're gonna bring our experience in the courtroom for to teach about trial techniques. We're gonna bring other lawyers from different areas of law to educate the students about what careers are out there uh, for the students and networking. We're gonna open up some communities and groups so that the students can network with each other. And also we're gonna be bringing in our friends and joining those groups as well. Yeah, prior to COVID, we had 12 participating colleges in a brick and mortar space, but we've learned to be able to expand this program. Many uh, students have graduated from multiple colleges. They've gotten their certificates. It's on their LinkedIn profiles, on their resumes. And we're really proud that a lot of those students, Dave, to this day, now call themselves Esquire. So I'm really, really excited to be able to offer this virtually because you know I loved when we put it together and I love doing it it's making such a difference and an impact and so many of the students have said it was the critical difference yeah five weeks over zoom so when we were in the classroom before we're now able to use our resources and assets to offer this to everybody around the world and we're sitting here in our studio for nothing but the truth podcast which is going to be used and we're going to have the cameras and the microphones and we're really really excited So if you're a parent that has a child that may be interested in the law or you're a student interested in the law, the registration is open for the spring course and that's at IWantToBeALawyer.Law. Hope to see you there. All right, welcome back to WMTR Radio's Nothing But The Truth. Your host, Bob Bianchi and Dave Bruno. Kristen Williams is with us right now. Dave, uh, really an amazing story of resiliency, no? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, what what an experience from observing an incident like that and then having to go through the court process and testify. So I applaud uh, your bravery and your courage. Thanks. Uh, present day, you are a devoted mother and a loving wife, right? And Try to be. <laughs> I think I... I think I know what the answer is, but what is it that motivates you day to day to lead a positive life? Uh, honestly, to give my son the life that I didn't have at his age, to give him the childhood that, you know, not only I wish I had, but also the childhood he deserves. Mm-hmm. You know, everything 
that I do, you know, I work a whole lot and I know I probably work more than I should, but I want to make sure that he has that security that when he comes home, he's going to have those small things like food in the fridge and power in the house and a phone if he needs to, you know, call somebody. Um, Those are all things that I didn't have as a kid and I don't want him to ever go without. So he is 100% my motivation in everything because I want him to have all of those things. I want him to have that stability that is so important. So even the days where, you know, 30 years later, I think about, you know, what happened and it might, you know, throw me for a loop. I Mm. just think about him and how every single decision I make will affect him. So I need to make sure that I make those right decisions for him and keep him in mind. How old is he? Uh, he is almost eight. He's oh. almost eight. So he's third grade. Second, second grade. He's late. He's a March baby. So he started March what? Late. March twenty third. Wow, you almost <laughs> one week from my date. Yeah. So he's, uh, you know, he's always in my mind because I think about you know all of those things. Like I don't want him to ever go through what I went through. I don't mm-hmm. want him to ever have to witness you know his parents hurt or anything like that. And he uh, he's a good motivation to keep going. That make sure like it. you know you do the right thing. I think that you know we we there's so many there's this it's such a rich topic, and you were a victim of domestic abuse, mm-hmm. the child uh, that was suffering as well as your mom and you witnessing all this. Uh, talk to our female or male for that matter uh, <laughs> audience about this cycle of domestic violence that there is. Um, you kind of touched upon it before. Yeah. And like as prosecutors, when I was the head prosecutor, I was always very, Dave knows this, attentive to the family unit that handled domestic violence cases because I always was saying, today's domestic violence is tomorrow's homicide case. And yeah. unfortunately, probably in 70 plus percent of the cases, at least up in, in the Morris County area, were in fact that. Mm-hmm. What, what, what message would you have for them? Um, it's going to be hard, you know, it's going to be hard to leave. It's going to be hard to get out on your own and you're taking a risk doing that. You never know if, you know, the abuser is going to come after you or not, but it's worth that risk because staying, the abuser is not going to stop. It's just going to get worse. You know, um, there are plenty of facilities out there, whether it be shelters, there's domestic violence organizations, you can get cell phones from police stations that people donate. I donate all my old cell phones to police stations so they could give them out to domestic violence victims. There's plenty of resources out there. There's plenty of people willing to help, even Mm -hmm. if you have Mm -hmm. kids. You know, some people think I got to stay because I have kids and he controls the money or she controls the money. And you know, all of those things don't matter if you're not around at the end of the day because you let it continue and it goes that extra step. So just take the risk. I, take the I risk just want to follow leave. up with that, Dave, real quick. Um, I, I also think that sometimes when people have discussions about domestic violence, and, and that was a very well-articulated answer, we always stop at what should the woman do. Now, of course, we understand that men can be victims of domestic abuse, but statistically speaking, uh, women are the larger and most endangered class there. But what about the... And please, in the audience, uh, be, you know, don't don't get agitated when I say it. I'm just I'm just speaking truth, whether it's politically correct or not. But what about the majority of those men who are, in fact, the abusers? I think we forget that equation. For example, I know that you uh, were just talking to me the other week about how 
Henry, the mm-hmm. defendant. By the way, he's not your biological father. You're, no, you married he's my your mom. Stepfather. Your stepfather um, was okay until he started drinking. He had a significant addiction issue. Talk to me about what what men can do to get themselves into a better place. Um, you know, just admit you have a problem. You know, having a problem, admitting it, and getting help is not a weakness. It's the most strength you can show in anything. Mm-hmm. Wanting to get better and be positive for your family is not a bad thing. You know, if you have children or if you're a step parent or even if you don't, if you just have a significant other or spouse, if you love someone, you don't hurt them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have addictions and, you know, there's treatment for them just like there's treatment for anything else. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's a sickness and it's a disease. It is, but it's something you could get help for. It's it's not a terminal illness. Mm. So if you choose not to get help, then you're choosing to continue that cycle. And, you know, for a lot of men, if you have daughters, you know, look at your daughter and think if she said to you, you know, my boyfriend, my husband's, you know, hitting me or abusing me. What would you tell her to do? Would you tell her to stay? No, you'd tell her to run or you'd go to that guy. So you shouldn't do that to the person you love either, you yeah. know? Well said. Yeah, also for anyone out there that needs help, uh, the Domestic Violence Act in the state of New Jersey is expansive and thorough for protections. Uh, go to the police department or the superior court during normal business hours and you can get a restraining order. And that goes for other states across the country, too. We're in New Jersey. We're very familiar with that particular act. But for anybody that needs help, counseling's out there. There's shelters out there. And there's also protections of law available for people in that situation. Yeah, so let's talk about a little bit more about this resiliency piece. Okay, so you talked to us when you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, And then you talked to us about your son, and that's really beautiful. Uh, But again, like I said, I think most people go down a rabbit like we all have hard times, right? I'm trying to think, right. put myself in your space, and sometimes you can ask, "Well, why me?" or "How come?" Do you have a tendency to say it's because of this event and because of my up? Like, how do you get past that in those years between when you were a child and before you got married and had a baby? Um, you know, honestly, I think everyone's situation is different. For me. Um, You know, before the fire actually happened, I had gotten into an argument with my mom. So a big part of my journey was forgiving myself because I felt very guilty about the fact that I had fought with her right before she had died and we never got a chance to resolve that. So I had to deal with that more than anything else. Um, And also I had a lot of self-blame on the fact that Uh, Like you had said, uh, my stepfather wasn't always a bad guy. When I first met him, he wasn't drunk. He wasn't on anything. He wasn't an addict as far as I knew. And he seemed very nice. So I was on board with us moving in with him and starting this life. So I had a lot of my own guilt and blame for what happened. So a lot of that time was really just self-reflection and therapy and, and realizing that you know, I didn't make those decisions and I didn't make those choices. And, you know, I think a big part of my resiliency came from, unfortunately, like resentment for both my mom and my stepfather and the decisions they made. You know, I was very resentful for a long time about the decisions my mom made because I was there and I felt like, you know, well, did she care? Because 
why would you put us in this position? Why would you put your children in this position? So it was really like just more of a, I don't want to be that person. I don't want, you know, and I remember coming home and seeing my mom with, you know, broken bones or black eyes. And, you know, I remember, you know, my own bruises sometimes. And I never wanted to feel that again. I thought it was normal. And it took that event to realize that this is not normal. This is not okay. This is not the life I want just for myself. So, you know, knowing that my stepfather was normal when I first met him and didn't know he was an addict, I made a conscious effort to say, well, I don't want to be an addict. I don't want to try drugs. I don't want to do any of this because I don't want to be that person. Right, as opposed to other people who walk away saying, I'm going to be just like that. I'm destined for it. I, we only have a short period of time, Kristen. There's so much more we could talk about. But I, I would like to give a little, in the next minute or so, 30 seconds. If you could talk to your mom right now, what would you say? And if you could talk to Henry, what would you say? Uh, if I could talk to my mom, I would just, you know, love to tell her that, you know, everything that happened was not completely her fault and that we forgive her and, you know, we wish she was here and she would love my son more than anything. And I don't know that I'd say anything to Henry, to be honest. I don't know what I really would have to say to him. I feel like you know everything I had to say. I said in court. You have no hate. You have no anger. I noticed that in you when you when you refer to him. No. How do you, how do you get past that? I think people would be very interested to know how could you not be hateful and anger, which is obviously a horrible thing to do because you're the one that's getting burned every exactly. time you pick up. Exactly. It just hurts you. My me being angry or hating him doesn't affect him at all. He could care less how I feel. So why should I waste my time and energy on that? It doesn't doesn't matter yeah dave real quick before we one more oof i mean just where where the focus goes the energy goes right and yeah. to your point yeah. that's that's not something to dwell on no get past and it's hard right it is what's but what's the best advice you can give someone who's trying to get past it but just continues yeah, to and, think and by the and way keep in mind that this young lady i'm calling her she's not, <laughs> this, this was literally there when this incident happened so i you know it's there's always going to be something that happens in your life. Everybody has traumatic experiences. You can't judge one person's over the other. So you just have to say, this is a moment in my life. Where do I want to take my life from here? Do I want to continue to spiral because of this one event? Or do I want to take this one event, learn from it, and move on and grow from it and turn it around? You know, Dave, it's funny. Wow. We have BLG master classes, and part of that is a mindset coaching course. We just got off the TEDx stage talking about mindset, but I have a funny feeling Kristen's going to kind of blows us away, not only in how she articulates it, but actually having suffered something that is real trauma. And I love everything you say about not suffer comparing and, and making something better of yourself. And so that's it, Kristen. I, I, you know, I wish we had more time. You'll, you, you'll have to come back, okay? And I know you were nervous about this, but there's no need to. You te you did just as well as you testified. You're listening to WMTR Radio's Nothing But The Truth, Bob Bianchi, Dave Bruner, every Saturday, 1030. Dave, where can they find the podcast? It's nothingbutthetruthpodcast.com. We're working on the new webpage. I can't wait to deliver it to you guys. It's going to be more comprehensive and uh, a lot easier to use. Also, BLG Masterclasses is putting on the Careers in Law Workshop 
Springs spring registration is open. We start on March 20th of 2024 and registration is I want to be a lawyer dot law. That's Hope right. to see you guys. Become there. part of that masterclass tribe. And also for our listeners, please, if you have children, if you have student, you have children that are students and they just don't know what to do right now or what to do as a career. This is an excellent opportunity to get a little bit of the law, but also like Bob said, we're going to be talking about mindset as well. There's going to be a day where we're probably going to be giving our TEDx talks and talking more to the students about them. So that would be an excellent opportunity to get your uh, your your kids into the class as well. Okay, the only thing I can say is peace out. Peace. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Appreciate it. We're the Bianchi Law Group, a team of former prosecutors and certified criminal trial attorneys. But here's the thing. He put himself in a box when he said... My Relied on by CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Law and Crime, and news leaders across the country for our criminal defense expertise. In a search warrant, you have to have probable cause that a crime's been committed and there's evidence in a particular place. When you need a law firm with courage, compassion, and the commitment to fight for you, call the Bianchi Law Group today.